You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Good morning, church. Our reading this morning is taken from Galatians 5, verses 16 through 25, and I ask you to stand with me as we read this morning's scripture. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh, the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Today is Pentecost Sunday. It's the day on the Christian calendar where we celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus had promised after his death and resurrection, he returned to the Father and then sent to us the Holy Spirit to indwell and empower the church for effective and fruitful presence in the world. Now, this resulted in some very extraordinary, miraculous moves of God. This is the kind of stuff that we read about in the book of Acts, like tongues of fire and healing and all these extraordinary things. And this is typically what we tend to think of when we think of Pentecost. Pentecost, fire, power, boom. But what is equally powerful and yet I would say sadly overlooked is the work of the Holy Spirit in the more ordinary things, the The no less miraculous work of God changing hearts and transforming lives to become loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, self-controlled people, essentially causing us to live fruitful lives. In fact, the more I read the news and I watch the way that the dominant culture is just continuing to perpetuate the vitriol of hate and fear and racism and division, and, and, and honestly, the more I look within and I see my own natural bent towards selfishness and control, the fruit of the Spirit is beginning to appear more and more extraordinary. In fact, if you want to stand out in the year 2020, if you want to live an extraordinary life, here it is. Be joyful when fear and anxiety are on the rise. Display peace when it seems like conflict is all that gets the spotlight. Be self-controlled when when people, all the people around you seem to be increasingly self-indulgent. 
This portion of Galatians 5 that we're going to be looking at for about the next nine weeks shows us how the Holy Spirit empowers us to resist the ways that we would naturally respond to life under pressure. It's how the Bible describes that as the works of the flesh and how he empowers us to resist the ways of the world essentially with its endless supply of coping mechanisms like sex and religion and vices and all the ways that we cope with difficult life. And instead, he causes us to trust God and bear good fruit no matter how dry or difficult things get around us. That's kind of the big idea. Today, uh, this is going to serve as a, a sort of introduction to this series. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at three things from this passage to lay the groundwork for what we're going to look at in the weeks to come. What we're going to look at is uh, this, the signs of life the struggle of desires, and the source of fruitfulness. The signs, the struggle, and the source. Now, first, the signs of life. Now, we live in an age of self-identification. If I think or feel or say that I am something, then I am. Don't argue with it. I am. Um, We define who we are. And some of the more obvious examples of this are in regards to gender, sexuality, other various forms of personal expression. But for the most part, I think that we deep down understand that this just can't be the way that life works. I think that we grasp deep down that we were not intended to define ourselves, but instead were created to receive an identity. This is what Christianity is all about. It's not that we make ourselves something, but we receive this life. And I think that we, it's because that we understand deep down that there is only one who has the authority to definitively say, I am. And that's God, the great I am. Even in a culture where just about anything goes and you can be whatever the heck that you want to be, there are still areas of self identification that we just don't go for. Do you remember Rachel Dolezal? Scholar in black art and culture. Uh, She was a leader in the NAACP, black rights activist. But there was one problem. Her life was a total hoax. She was not a black woman. She's not a black woman. She is as white as they come. In fact, she like was born and raised in rural Montana. Like the polar opposite of what she was trying to display to the world. And Everyone, just about everyone but her, agreed that this is wrong. You can't just do this. This isn't how it works. You can't just claim to be something that you're not. Her life was a lie. Her appearances, her speech, everything. It turned out to be fake. And of all the areas of life where we uh, would be inclined to fake it and where we really need to avoid the counterfeit, is in the area of our spiritual life. Because like Rachel, what is really true of us by birth or by nature of rebirth in Jesus Christ will inevitably become evident. And claiming to be something does not necessarily make you anything. I hope they told you that. 
In fact, it was Jesus himself who said in Matthew 7, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and it's thrown into the fire. Thus, in the words of Jesus, you will recognize them by their fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is that unmistakable, verifiable sign of life, the life of God at work within us. This is the true test. The true test of whether or not someone has been born again through faith in Christ and is now indwelled by the Holy Spirit. It's not charisma. It's not giftedness. It's not Bible memorization or church attendance or a claim of faith. It's fruit. It's fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And it's the whole of this. I know for some of us, we're saying, well, I'm naturally kind and gentle. The self-control thing, that's not really my thing. But, you know, my personality lends itself towards gentleness. We, We treat the fruit of the Spirit like the Enneagram or personality test. You're like, oh, my gosh, you're such a three with a wing of eight. You're so love with that gentle. But we'll leave self-control for that person over there that's got that personality. That's not how it works. It's the whole of the fruit of the Spirit coming out of our lives despite our personalities, despite our bent. Now, while we're going to spend significant amount, uh, a significant amount of time discussing these characteristics that I've mentioned here, what we need to do is we need to back up just a little bit because a conversation about a fruitful life begins not by focusing on the fruit, but by focusing on the root, which leads us to our second point, the struggle of desires. Now, Building on this tree imagery here, if you want to affect change in the tree, and the tree represents the whole of our lives, then you have to focus your attention at the root level. And and the basic pattern laid out in Scripture, repeated often, is that healthy fruit is revealing a healthy root, and unhealthy fruit is revealing an unhealthy root. we got to focus on the root. And for us, that begins at the core or the center of our lives, the place that the Bible describes as the heart, the seat of our desires. And as we see here in the Scriptures, this is the location where a, a Fierce struggle is occurring, a struggle, a a conflict, a battle occurring deep down in our heart. Look at me in verse 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. What a thought. What a picture. Now, who you are is ultimately determined by your desires. James K.A. Smith put it this way, you are what you desire. And the idea here is who you are becoming 
it's either going to be the result of being driven by your own earthly human desires or by being driven by the desires of the Holy Spirit. And you are always moving in one of the two different directions. The only thing you're not doing is staying stagnant. You're either being driven by the Spirit and His desires or your own fleshly desires. Now, the Enlightenment period in history claimed that human beings are these rational thinking beings that we think and we reason our way through life. It was Rene Descartes who famously said, I think Therefore, I am. And the idea is that you need to think positive thoughts. You need to get get education. You need to get people connected to the right information. You need to read some more books. You need to shape the minds of young people. And then we will become the kind of people that we want to be. Knowledge is that transforming power. Information is what unlocks the world to us. Don't get me wrong, while I do believe that information and knowledge and the mind are important, Scripture shows us, and even science continues to reveal, that we are so much more than simply these thinking beings, and we are not as rational as we think. We're not as rational as we would hope. In fact, often the direction of our lives is not based on what we are thinking. The direction of our life is really based on how we're feeling, what we're feeling, that gut-level desire that drives us and is often at the steering wheel, overriding even the things that we know, even, even pushing us in directions that we know we shouldn't go. The Apostle Paul elsewhere in Scripture in Romans 7 said this, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. I'm doing what I shouldn't, and what I should I don't. Oh my gosh, what is going on? I'm torn. I'm struggling. That's the human condition. That's the human experience. Welcome. Now, what I've observed and experienced personally about the Christian life is that what we think we desire And what we actually desire is often very different. And and, and there's a huge difference between having the right answer and the real answer. They're, They're not necessarily the same. Let me illustrate this. If I were to ask most people in the church, you know, what do you desire most out of life? Because, you know, we're in church and I'm, you know, your pastor, I'm probably going to get variations of the same answer. Like, well, you know, the shorter catechism tells us to, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's really my desire to, to honor him with my, my life. And, you know, then other people give the more responsible answer. Like, you know, I just really want to create a stability. I want to break generational, you know, you know, patterns and, and create something for my family and, and leave a, a, a legacy. Now, these are great, great, right answers. And they're what we know we should be doing. But is that really what we want? I mean, honestly, is that really what we desire? Is that what's animating our lives when we wake up in the morning and are feeling super selfish and self-indulgent and defensive? Truth is, our deep down desires are often far less spiritual and far less responsible. And at times, they're, they're even harmful to us and the people around us. 
I'm reminded of the, the words that R. Kelly sang. My mind's telling me no, but my body, my body's telling me yes. My mind is saying, you shouldn't go there. My body's saying, here we go. Sad reality about those words and really the, the unfortunate truth of that statement is that we know that the destructive path that that led him down and the destructive path that that leads many down. Knowledge, knowing, isn't everything. There's a story written by a, an English writer, Jeff Dyer, named Zona. I've shared this illustration years ago. But there's this, this, this story's plot essentially follows a, the dangerous journey of these, these men that are traveling through this place called the Zone. And the characters are the professor, the writer, and Stalker. Stalker is the group's tour guide trying to get them to this place in the zone called the room. Now, the reason the room is so important is that it has the power to grant you your life's wishes. It's this force that can grant you your desires. And so after this treacherous journey, they finally arrive outside the room, and Stalker, their guide, turns to them and tells them, okay, this is the most important moment of your life. Your innermost wish will be made true. It's go time. The journey's over. They're finally there, and they're at the threshold as they're about to step in. They all hesitate, and particularly the, the, the professor. And he begins to think, and he hesitates, and he asks, and he asks this question. He says, what if I don't know what I really want? What if I don't know my deepest wishes? And then the narrator steps in and writes these words. Well, that's for the room to decide. The room reveals all. What you get is not what you think that you wish for, but what you most deeply wish for. And that thought, it's terrifying for the professor because he's realizing, like the scriptures are indicating, there's conflict inside. And I'm not entirely sure what I desire most. And while I think I know what would I want and what would be best, there's maybe these conflicting, struggling thoughts and desires that Maybe dominating inside of me that could go really, really dark, really, really quickly. And the writer goes on to say this very relevant statement. He says, the deepest desire, your deepest desire, is not the, it, it is rather, is the one that's manifested in your daily life. Your deepest desire is the one that is manifested in your daily life. In other words, in biblical language, your deepest desire is revealed by the fruit of your life. What's coming out? And so, God, being both the creator and the redeemer of our body and our soul and even our capacity for desire, he understands this internal struggle better than we ever could and so he focuses his energy and his grace here at the deepest part of our being deeper than our consciousness deeper than our rational thoughts sending the spirit into our hearts to transform our desires so that we aren't driven by our selfish urges but led by the spirit 
And the imagery here of being led by the Spirit is that of wind filling the sails of a ship and, and propelling it forward in a certain direction. The wind of the Spirit now taking over our lives and guiding us in the right direction. Here's where the Spirit is at work. He's not just showing us the right thing to think. He's not just giving us more information. He is actually at work changing our secret dark, sinful desires into holy, God-glorifying, life-giving desires that result in love and joy and peace and patience that result in the kind of lives that we actually do want to live. See, it's not that God comes into our lives and begins to shut down our desires like a doctor who may have a patient that has chronic pain in a certain place, and so sort of the last-ditch effort is to just like kill the nerve endings in that spot to make it, the pain go away. That's not what God is doing. He's not killing the, the, the nerves. He's not killing the desires. He's not, he's not numbing our life per se. What he's doing is he's giving us the courage and the power to crucify inordinate desires and now redirecting our affections so that we settle for nothing less than the unending fulfillment that is ours through being united through Jesus Christ so that sin becomes more and more miserable to us and Christ becomes more and more enjoyable. It's not about losing our desires. It's about the redirection and transformation of them. Now, friend, Galatians tells us that the struggle is real. It's really just like affirming our life. It's like speaking right at us and saying, hey, I know the struggle is real. I know you're conflicted. I see what's going on in there. I see the battle. I see the struggle. I see the way you're trying to psych yourself up every day. I see the way you're even trying to change your life. Do what we shouldn't do, and we don't do the things that we should do. But here is the good news. The good news is that for the Christian, the Spirit will prevail. The Spirit is going to win. And so what that means is, if I'm reading this correctly, this is not so much a battle that you're trying to win. This is a battle that you have to be willing to lose, to surrender. And when we lose, we lose in the best sort of way because when we lose the battle to the Spirit and allow the Spirit to prevail in our lives, we win entrance and inheritance into the kingdom of God. We win by losing. We conquer through surrender. What a God. What a kingdom. What a way of life. Now, let's look finally at the source of fruitfulness. The source of fruitfulness. Let me ask you a question. What were the first words God uttered to a person? What was the first thing spoken between God and humanity? Now, you can have a second, pause it and go look, or you can just take my word for it and check later. It's these words, be fruitful. There it is, be fruitful. God's vision for humanity, God's vision for our church, reality, God's vision for your life was and has been and will always be this, 
be fruitful, live a fruitful, flourishing life. But the reality is that it's easier said than done. What we see throughout the creation account, throughout the, the creation account in the book of Genesis, is this, that the command of God is always accompanied by the presence and provision of God. What God requires, God provides. And we see examples of this all throughout the creation account. God says, let there be light, and there is light. He doesn't just say, like, hey, like, light, go be light, figure it out, I'll come back when you're light. No, he says, be light. His commanding uh, creation, creating voice speaks, and there's light. He says the same thing, let the sea be filled with life, and the sea is filled with life, and on and on and on. When God says, become this, become that, do this, do that, we always see the Spirit of God at work making it happen, hovering over the depths. See, without the presence and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, things will remain formless and dark, but where He is on the move, things are teeming with life. And what Galatians 5 shows us is that the same is true with living a fruitful life. The same is true with what's being laid out for us here as the Christian. God doesn't simply just say, be fruitful, be loving, be joyful, be all these things. No. He unleashes the Holy Spirit into the depths of our hearts to hover over the spaces within all those unloving, impatient, often chaotic places within, bringing about life where things are otherwise dark and formless. The ministry of the Spirit at work within us, awakening us to the reality of our sin and our need for God's grace, regenerating our hearts, making us alive to be able to believe upon the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross, and then empowering us to live the lives that God has called us to live. In other words, causing us to live fruitful lives, causing us to step into God's forever vision for humanity. Well, I'm excited. <laughs> this is what Pentecost, this is what Pentecost is all about. Acts chapter 2, we read this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and, and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The life-giving power and presence of God came down to fill every single believer without exception. For all those who trusted on Christ, we are filled with His Spirit. Now, while this portion of Scripture here in Galatians it is telling us about what the Christian life is supposed to look like. And, and honestly, there, there, there's a moral obligation that comes with what's being spelled out here. And there's, generally speaking, a moral obligation with being a Christian. However, and we're going to get to those things, but the focus isn't on making ourselves more loving, more joyful, 
more patient. You ever had someone tell you, hey, you just need to be patient? That just causes more anxiety, more stress. You can't successfully make yourself any of these things. These, however, are the result of something deeper. The focus is not go make yourself something. Here is the central focus of Galatians 5. It's this. Walk by the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Be surrendered to Him. Yield to Him. Obey Him. Paul lays out several instructions that emphasize essentially the same point. He just says it differently. Walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Friend, your job is not to make yourself anything. Stop trying to make yourself something. Your job is to stay close and surrender to the Spirit. Your responsibility is to say no to yourself and yes to the Spirit. Your call is to trust Him with your life and to trust Him with your future and to trust Him with your desires and to trust Him with your fulfillment, to trust Him with your everything. And as a result, the life-giving presence of God within you and leading you He will cause you to bear fruit. This is inevitable, not as you try to become something, but as God is at work within you. You will bear fruit. Over the next couple months, we're going to talk about ways to cultivate fruitfulness. We're going to look at the different characteristics of a fruitful life. We're going to talk about how the Spirit really enables us to implement new and better habits that are going to form love and joy and peace in us. But we cannot miss the main point. This is why this is such an important foundation for this series. We cannot miss this main point. And it is this. It's all about devotion to Jesus through his spirit. Because it was Jesus himself who said in John 15, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What is the call to abide in Christ through the power of his Holy Spirit? Let me conclude with this. This passage, it's uncomfortable because it's it's a polarizing passage. And what I mean is that it divides us readers and us listeners into two categories. Two categories. Those who belong to Christ and have received his Holy Spirit and will inherit the kingdom of God. Or those who belong to their flesh who have not received the Holy Spirit and who will not receive the kingdom of God. In other words, those who are living and moving further into the life of Christ or those who are dying and those who are moving further into death. And so today, the call for us is very simple. Not easy, but simple. In fact, the only explicit command in this passage is this. Walk by the Spirit. In other words, forsake that draining existence of trying to make yourself something Forsake and resist all the sort of coping mechanisms that you and the world have come up with to try to deal with the fact that you're not what you thought you should be and step into the life that Jesus Christ died and rose again to make available to you. In other words, receive by faith 
the life of the Spirit.